0: And that is the connection between joy and purpose. And especially the connection, as the general subject says, the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God. We will see progressively God is a God of purpose. The Bible tells us in Revelation was created because of God's will, and God's will is related to His purpose. So we may feel that our personal universe and our personal lives may have may exhibit more chaos. And randomness than purpose but the fact is our great and glorious God has an eternal purpose Amen. and he has put a longing for purpose in the human heart that's why at one point we have as the scripture reference Ecclesiastes 3 that you have put eternity into the human heart. There's the longing for the eternal, for the infinite, for the transcendent, for the purposeful, for the meaningful. And this is especially keen in young people, in their middle teens, up through their undergraduate years, until in most cases... The longing is suppressed by the desire to have a lot of money and to do so many other things. And if they don't receive grace, they end up making their existence the purpose of their existence. But in middle age, this thing will kick in again. Uh, I I don't know what happens to females in middle age, but with men in middle age, they begin to consider... Uh, what I'm more than halfway finished. And uh, so far, things have not turned out the way I had hoped when I was 21. And if I'm to salvage anything in the remaining time, I better uh, get a mohawk. I better get a red <laughs> sports car. I better move to Tahiti. I, I need to do something. And then at the very end, when you're reflecting upon the whole journey, the question will come up, what was the point of it all? This is in our humanity. Also, God is a God of joy. Now, maybe sometime I'll conduct an experiment like this, but... You know, sometimes someone gives you a word and they ask you to say or write down what immediately comes to mind. I think if we tried this with people at random, we mentioned God, how many would say joy? God, joy. I don't know what they would say. God, what? Holy God, Sovereign, God Almighty, God All-Knowing. If you're a little softer person, you might say love. But who will seriously say, as a first response, joy. God equals joy. God is delightful. God is enjoyable. God is pleasant. Many of us, we're so scared of God, we tiptoe into his presence at best, hoping that the precious blood of Jesus gives us access. But it's like we're coming like this into God's presence, fearing if we open ourselves too much, He's going to play gotcha with us. Then he's going to get us. Then he's going to deal with us and discipline us and judge us and punish us. And if we don't get through in this, then we're going to be in the outer darkness and we're going to taste the second death for a thousand years. And so this does not equal a sense of enjoyment. That is why at a certain time in the development of the ministry of the age, <coughs> the ministry concentrated on this point. And there is a substantial book called How to, Have the, <laughs> how to Enjoy God and How to Practice the Enjoyment of God. <coughs> so this will need, we'll need some amount of... <coughs> Of re-education. <clears throat> I'm okay. Just a little clearing here. Amen. We need some amount of re-education. Amen. So that we will adjust. Amen. To this aspect of the divine revelation. Amen. That God is enjoyable. Amen. Like a verse in Psalm 16. Your presence is fullness of joy. Amen. No, yes, your presence. It's not just nice. It's not just joyful. It's fullness of joy. I, I'm not sure I know what fullness of joy is. I'm looking forward to discovering that. Would you, would you help me? Let's help each other. Amen. Then in Psalm 36 you will cause them to drink of the river of your pleasures. There is a beverage that is the flowing life of God that when you drink it, you drink, it's paradise juice, paradise water. I don't know Hebrew, but I learned that the word for Uh, pleasures is the plural of Eden, of paradise. When the Lord flows in you and you drink of the Spirit, you drink paradise water. Jeremiah said, I found your words and I ate them. And your word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now, of all the words you found this week, I don't know, did you find them in the New York Times? Did you find them on Fair and Balanced Fox News, which we're told by some is not a news program? (laughs) All the words that are uttered in the world, I would just say all the words of the philosophers that I've read, of Shakespeare, of Milton, of Dante, of the Greek writers, they never made me happy. (laughs) But there is a certain person's words, God's words, when I eat them, I have a happy heart. The joy and rejoicing of my heart. When we enjoy God by being in his presence in, in the beloved son, by drinking of the river of his pleasures, by taking in his word, which becomes joy in us, We're spontaneously one with him. Effortlessly. When a brother and his wife enjoy each other, they're one. When they're both happy, they're one. And it's this way with the Lord. Then when we're one with him, we're open to him. And we're willing to do his will. And we want his will to be done. This means we can now live for his purpose. Now, I'm going to illustrate something. I realize that this might, you know, touch the views of certain persons. I'm not trying to adjust the views. I'm illustrating. I was uh, having breakfast, as I often do with trainees. And this is at a a house of brothers. And we're having divine human fellowship. And so I was asking them, you know, where they went to school. And what they majored in. And uh, one brother, a first trimmer in the training. uh, Obviously quite a capable and promising person. He said he studied economics. I said, did you like that? He said, no. (laughs) But... I started out pre-med, and that didn't work out. And economics was the only thing my mother would let me study. (laughs) Can you imagine majoring in something you hate, that you don't like? By God's creation, it's normal to pursue what you're good at, what you like, what's enjoyable to you what matches your God-created constitution. Imagine having to serve a God and you don't like it. Having to stay in the church life your whole life, but you really don't like it. Imagine having to live with this person you married for the next six decades and you really are not that happy. This has a very damaging effect upon a person. You have to do something. you got a job you can't stand. Your, your company is downsizing. They're moving you to North Dakota. And now, now you can't... You know, I'll tell you something about North Dakota. It's not San Diego. <laughs> well... For us to be here on the earth and in the church life, in the Lord's recovery, trying to fulfill God's purpose out of obligation, out of duty, out of fear. It's just plain not going to work. What happens when you're about 48 or if that's a little too young, when you're 54? Even outer darkness and the second death doesn't budge you anymore you say okay I'm consigned to the fact I'm an undergoer not an overcomer I'm defeated you know I'll I'll never make it and so what is going to motivate someone like that I know now the genuine enjoyment of God in Christ Don't don't try to fulfill God's purpose. Don't try to work this out. That's not the first step. Don't even try. Don't misunderstand me. Don't try to pray as a work. Don't try to study the truth as a task. Enjoy the Lord. First, love Him. Enjoy Him. Don't try to do Holy Word for Morning Revival as a routine. First, this is not a comment on Holy Word for Morning Revival. It's a comment on the ease with which we can make things a routine. We should have an objective. Lord, You have given me this day, and I give it to You. Cleanse me with your precious blood. Now I pray, right here, right now, I will enjoy you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm having a time in the morning. Not so I'll have something to say when I meet you after the meeting and you ask me, what were you impressed with? It's hard to answer that question when not only were you not impressed, you have no idea what week we're in, right? Then what are you supposed to say? Well, I suggest, if but this is just a sidebar, if you're in that situation, just tell the truth. I don't know what week we're in, and I didn't have morning revival today, so I wasn't impressed with anything. So you asked, and I told you. So, either he will stop asking you such questions or the situation will be different. I'm, for quite a period of time now, I've been aware of that the joy index, the joyometer in us and in the church, it's not exactly gone off the scale. If the maximum is over here, the joyometer, I don't know where it is. But even with the most endeavoring, sometimes the most endeavoring are the most joyless. They're so serious, they're so earnest, they're so diligent in, in, their, in their exercise that they lose sight of the God of joy, of the enjoyment of the Lord. And so I'm not here to say, ah, okay, thou shalt enjoy the Lord. Don't come into the meeting tomorrow unless you've got a happy face. I, ne- I never know what to do when they're going to take a picture. I never ha- know how to smile before a camera. What are you supposed to do? You go to a trainee's house with the sisters. Can we have a picture? And they, you know, they, they they put the thing on the couch, on the tripod or something. And now you're sitting. There's no person there. And you're supposed to smile. <laughs> I, I won't even try. I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to. Don't tell me to praise the Lord. Don't tell me to say cheese. Don't tell me to say anything. I'm done with faux smiles. The only way this man is going to smile is when he enjoys Jesus. Amen. Then there will be a smile, but that'll have to be a candid shot. So I'm not here with any requirement for anybody. I'm not here to lay a demand on anybody like, oh, no, not, now you've got to work at enjoying the Lord. That is a contradiction. We need to discover or rediscover how enjoyable God is in himself. And that how our God, motivated by sheer love for us, came in the Son as the Savior to recover us out of everything and anything that is a barrier between us and the God of joy. That is why, my brothers and sisters, the Bible speaks of the joy of salvation. That's how it begins. That is why in Luke 15, we're told, when the shepherd is bearing the lost sheep that was found, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 who don't. Joy in heaven. Then after the parable about the woman seeking for the lost coin and finding it, and she was rejoicing, it says there is joy among the angels of God. I have no idea what angels, I don't mean the California angels, and I don't know if they're happy in New York, and I don't care. But the angels up there, they are rejoicing when sinners are recovered to the enjoyment of God. And one day the joy in heaven will be matched by the joy on earth and heaven and earth will be one. When Philip, who was manifested as an evangelist, was sent to Samaria and he walked into that pagan city with all kinds of idols and false religions, he announced Jesus He announced Jesus and the kingdom as the gospel. And Luke 8 4 says, and there was great joy in that city. It doesn't say there was great peace, even there was great love, there was great joy. And then Philip is instructed to approach the chariot driven by this Enoch from Ethiopia. He discovers that that one is reading from Isaiah. Beginning with that verse, he announces Jesus to him. Then he baptizes him. And then Philip is gone. The spirit just carries him away. He lands in Azotus and keeps on going. But we're told this about the eunuch. He went on his way rejoicing. Amen. This is how salvation begins. God himself is happy. The angels of God are happy. Whenever one human being returns to the Lord. I believe the principle is the same. Whenever a believer has been distracted. Has been out of the fellowship. Out of the church life. And the mercy of the Lord comes to that one. And he repents and returns. You don't think his angel is rejoicing? His angel might say, you have been really challenging me for the last 15 years. I've had to work just to keep you alive. And to preserve you. And to carry out God's will concerning you. No, I'm the first one to rejoice. I can say mission accomplished as far as this phase. This is the heavenly view. This is Luke 15. When the God-man Jesus was born and the heavenly host was manifested to shepherds. That's God's principle. He doesn't communicate to the professors, at not even at UCSD. He'll go to the shepherds and there's a heavenly chorus. Praising God and rejoicing at the birth of the Savior. Amen. So there is in God the realization concerning himself that when the problems on our side are solved by redemption, we have the right to enjoy Him. Amen. Revelation twenty two fourteen. 14. Blessed are they who wash their robes. They have the right to the tree of life. Amen. Then when we enjoy Him, we're energized. We're vitalized. Have you ever been vitalized by the Lord without any joy? You think He just? Dis- Fuses energy like electricity into you, and you suddenly become vibrant. It's always related to your joyful contact with him. Then, as I've been trying to emphasize, spontaneously we open to him, we pray to him, we praise him, we inquire of him, we consecrate to him, we're one with him. Then we realize oh, 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 you're, this is now May 5th, and you're going to graduate May 11th, and you're enjoying the Lord. You haven't been praying about your future. And then you just have this sense that the next step in God's purpose for you is to go up Interstate 5 about 90 miles. (laughs) And then you need to turn, and you need to get off at... Harbor and Ball Road exit and then go left on Ball Road for about three miles and then you'd turn right into the parking lot of the training center. And look at, I'm not going to recruit anybody. I'm not going to come to these young men and say that God needs a few good God men. I'm not going to do that. Don't be afraid. I don't do that. I'm not a recruiter for the full-time training. I don't have a a quota to fulfill. And you may may be one of these, probably you are one of these really smart persons that can reason way ahead of me. You say, okay, you're telling me that if I open and enjoy the Lord, then I'm going to be one with Him and want to do His will. And probably His will is that I go to the full-time training. And I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to enjoy the Lord. (laughs) So that I won't be one with Him, I won't be open to Him, and then I won't have to go. I just say... I I won't try I won't try to overcome that I won't try to subdue a smart young mind but I assure you secret prayers for you will bring about your sure defeat by the God of joy by the God of joy you say I don't want to enjoy you what are you going to do when a tide of love flows in what are you going to do when a The divine tide, it's poured out in your heart. What are you going to do? I don't want you to love me. I don't want you to love me. I I can't relate to anyone loving me. This is not part of my life history. God says, let me tell you something. Let's settle something. I'm God. And you're not. And if I decide to love you, I'm going to love you. And... If John Newton could stand on the deck of his slave ship in the midst of a storm, he was in the slave trade, what could have been more despicable? And dare God to send louder thunder, challenge him, shake his fist at him. He did it, literally. He wrote a hymn about it. If thou hast bid thy thunders roll and lightnings flash to blast my soul, I still had stubborn been. So God says, okay. I won't use lightning. I won't use thunder. I won't use authority. I won't use power. I'll use mercy, grace, compassion, and love. And I won't stop. And what are you going to do? So, this is how the Lord brings us into oneness with him to carry out his purpose if we just earnestly give ourselves to do this noble work to carry out God's economy to fight the ultimate battle to bring in the kingdom and we forget the basic need to enjoy the Lord for our heart to be happy in the Lord to drink of the river of his pleasures To have fullness of joy in his presence. To eat the word until it becomes the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It won't work. And as a testimony of this. I'd like to tell you a story that you know. I love to tell it every time for the first time. There was a man. Who was saved in his youth. And gave himself to the Lord absolutely. And received from the Lord the ministry of the age and the vision of the age. And he suffered for decades from various physical maladies and from all kinds of attack. Then eventually he was in prison where he remained for 20 years. There was absolutely nothing for his soul to enjoy. Not, not food. He got nice potstickers and dumplings there nothing no bible no church no meetings no ministry books nothing outwardly for 20 years and at the very end he wrote to a relative i have kept my joy What about that? I have kept my joy. Surely, all the mail was censored. Surely someone read that. A little over two weeks ago, I visited the grave where his remains are and saw the tombstone. When we arrived, I I was told this afterwards because I just can't speak any Mandarin or Spanish or whatever, but the guard told the brothers, we know why you're here. We know what you came to see. This man is greater than Mao Zedong. More people come to his grave than visit Mao's grave. I used to think, and I thought this for a very long time, and I had some basis to think this. I always try to have a basis For serious thought I used to think that the deepest persons spiritually were those who suffered the most that they're just deep by the suffering they're stripped by the suffering they're one with the Lord and even can enter into the fellowship of his sufferings I used to believe this but I don't anymore I have a different view now. The deepest persons are those who enjoy God. In the midst of their human situation. Because to suffer without joy is a sign the self is still there. And the self is killing your joy. Either you are suppressing feelings, or you are drawing on your natural strength, the power of your will to outlast this situation. And yes, the suffering is deepening you, but it's also strengthening the self. And this brings us to the last preliminary word. Then we'll get into the outline. Why is this so important? It's important. And the reference to the self is significant. For the following reason. The experience of Christ. Is mainly in our spirit. Amen. The experienceable Christ. The experienced Christ is Christ as the life-giving Spirit. Whenever we are one with Him in our spirit, exercise our spirit to contact Him, we experience Him. The enjoyment of the Lord is primarily in the soul. The soul is the organ of expression and the soul is the organ of enjoyment. And if you look at the book, The Exercise of the Kingdom for the Building Up of the Church and read a particular portion, you'll see our brother says, The highest enjoyment is the enjoyment in the soul. But if the the soul has problems, the first casualty is joy, the loss of joy. That is why Paul in Philippians was adjusting the souls of the saints. Look in chapter 1, in one spirit. With one soul. At the beginning of chapter two, is there any compassion? Is there any love? Make my joy full. Think the same thing. Have the same mind. Chapter three, as many as who have this mind. Chapter four, now he has to get explicit. Now he appeals to a brother. Listening to the reading of this letter. It's in a meeting. He says. First he, he says openly. Syntyche. I know you're there. You odious, I know you're there. In the other side of that big living room. Please be of one mind. In the Lord. Mm-hmm. Then he says. Is there a brother? Is there a yoke fellow who can help these two sisters be one? I would rather go to the bottom of Patagonia in the winter and preach to penguins than try to reconcile Syntyche and Euodia. How do you do that? The souls are so delicate and touchy. How do you do that? But Paul realized that if the soul has problems like opinions or criticisms or self-pity or negative feelings, the soul cannot function to enjoy the Christ you're experiencing in your spirit. Yes, you may experience Christ without enjoying him. And the following true story that I observed, I wish this were on video, I wish I could play you the video, but it was in 1967 and there was no such thing. That my wife was asked to care for the daughter of a church family, just for several hours, but it included dinner. And dinner was according to the mother's directions. And this little girl was about eight. And she had a very strong will. And uh, this is a small one-bedroom apartment. I'm in the living room in the rocking chair observing this and listening to this. And on the little girl's plate was spinach. Along with things that she liked. And my wife's word to her was, Miriam, you need to eat your spinach. No. No. I don't like it. I won't eat it. Eat the spinach. Eventually, you may not leave the table until you eat the spinach. That she had a strong will, but so did the other party. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know. I just know stuff like this. And I'm even stronger than she is, so I'm not condemning her. Then there was just silence until I heard the sound of the fork touching the plate and gathering up the spinach, which she ate. Now, when she masticated the spinach, ingested the spinach, did she not experience it? But she did not enjoy the spinach she was experiencing. Or if she's really ornery, if she did enjoy it, she would never admit it. (laughs) Well, we are like this, not, not in the sense of being willful, but in the sense of not enjoying a lot of the time. If I would ask you in your daily life, are you at peace? Are you at peace with the Lord? Are you at peace with the church? Almost everyone can say, I live a peaceful life. I'm a person of peace. But if I were to ask directly, which I won't, because that wouldn't help you. How much joy? How much joy? Do you have any joy to maintain, to keep? So I had to admit, and I got some help, like direct, unasked for, verbal help from from her, of course, the spouse. And she said with desperation, you know, this is a... A couple of decades ago plus. You are being robbed of so much enjoyment of the Lord. And I had no answer for that. I knew I didn't have very much joy. But my concept was still, happiness is for idiots. <laughs> Thoughtful people are sad because they muse upon the tragedy of human existence. <laughs> And so it's the superficial people that probably have jolly genes, and they feed on jolly bee. You know, there's a jolly bee. I thought they were only in the Philippines. I saw one coming here. And and that was my view. I said, no, I don't want to be a light person. I want to be deep, man. I want to be profound. I want to be weighty. When I grow up, I'm going to be one weighty, one weighty person. And that, that does not get along with joy. Then I realized, wait a minute. Robbed, she said. Robbed. That means there's a thief. There's someone ripping me off. There's someone cheating me. I don't agree with that. If that's a work of the devil, I resist. And I turn from that. I will not allow him to rob me of my joy anymore. So tonight, I am not bothered at anyone, but I am bothered to him, and I judge him, the enemy of God and our enemy. I condemn you as a thief and a robber. The heavens have bound you, and now we, the church, bind you. You stop robbing my brothers and sisters of their rightful enjoyment of God. You stop lying to them concerning God. You stop slandering God to them, putting thoughts in their minds. The Lord doesn't like you. He doesn't love you. He's angry at you. He's punishing you. That's why this happened. It's because you're so bad. That's why this happened. That's a lie. I don't know why it happened. But I know that's not the reason. So I decided to rise up against the enemy negatively and to stand against myself negatively and learn to enjoy the Lord. Amen. You know, we have this in our vocabulary. Every once in a while, we talk about enjoyment. So for a few hours or maybe for a day or two, are oh, you in the enjoyment? Yeah, I'm in the enjoyment. It's the kind of thing. I don't believe in things. I'm not talking about getting into the enjoyment of God. I want to take seriously Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's God's word. We all want to be overcomers in the manifestation of the kingdom. Anyone who knows the kingdom truth wants to be there. We're serious about this. But we eventually learn, in order to be in the manifestation of the kingdom, reigning with Christ when he comes back, we need to be in the reality of the kingdom today. Well, the reality of the kingdom has many aspects, but one Crucial aspect is joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not focused merely on let's enjoy the Lord. Let's have joy in our heart. The real burden is the God of purpose is the God of joy who created us and redeemed us for His purpose, and He knows that in order to live for His purpose, day by day in our actual situations, we need to enjoy Him. That is why the general subject is the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God. And the topic of message one Enjoying God and living for his purpose. And that's the sequence. Now we can begin our reading. I'll be done by nine, I believe. Then there'll be quite a substantial period of time for you to respond in any way you want to respond. And that will be the completion of the message. My speaking and your response. Okay, point one, man was created by God with the need for enjoyment and purpose. The church in Anaheim is distributing a track in the sense of making it available to the saints. uh, Entitled, It's Human to Need God. And that was written by our brother Bob Danker. And it, it's a very, uh, very good track. That even, you know, we're in kind of a, an anti-God mood in the culture. You know, some of the books by these atheists, they associate God with religion. But when God created humankind, there was no religion there. There's the heaven, there's the earth, there's the tripartite man. Where? Uh, In a desert? In an ice floe? In a garden? In paradise garden? And God put all kinds of trees there that were pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, pleasant to the sight. God deliberately created us with the need to have something pleasant to the sight. There is a verse somewhere, So quite a potent verse, it says the eyes of man are never satisfied because there is now the lust of the eyes and you may look at something, you may go online and look at something, you may have something on your phone and you look at it, you could look at it for 40 minutes, you could look at it for 4 hours. You could look at it for four days and your eyes will never be satisfied because of the satanic lust that were injected into us with the sinful nature of Satan. So, religious people, in the severe form, they want to kill the lusts, and at the same time, they kill the human element. They kill the human need for enjoyment, for pleasure. We're created by God with this. And we'll see at the right point in the outline, the higher a life is, the greatest, greater is its need for pleasure. Now, I don't know zoology. I don't know if amoebas, what's the pearl of amoeba, amoebae? Amoebas, how much joy amoebas need or parameciums or worms. But I know poodles need joy. We used to have a poodle named Studley, a miniature poodle. I'm sitting on the couch and he comes with his leash in his mouth. Or he comes with a ball in his mouth and then he puts it at my feet. This little creature... He wants some fun. He wants to go for a walkie. We used to have three dogs, two bearded collies, and this little poodle. I don't know if they understand English. But one word they understood was walkie. I just say walkie. They all come. They're barking. Their tails are wagging. They're bounding. They're so eager to go. Please, please, please put my lead on me. Put my lead on me. Then I take the three of them for a walk. Dogs need enjoyment. Now we have cats. I don't understand cats at all. But they're so mysterious, they're enigmatic. I once read a little clip in Reader's Digest. This is based upon fact that in ancient Egypt, cats were worshipped as gods and it says, cats have never forgotten this. <laughs> but you could tell, you could tell because, I think this was play, my wife got this, this electric mouse, and you, you have a scurrying around, it's a remote control rather, remote control. <laughs> or, or we got this beam of red light and he's, he's chasing this. So in the days when we had lots of pets, and the children were little, I realized the higher the life form, the greater is the need for enjoyment. Okay? God is the highest life. Amen. The Bible speaks of His good pleasure. Amen. The good pleasure of His will. Paul says it pleased God. God Himself said, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I have found my delight. Amen. We're made in the image of God, and one aspect of this is we need joy. It's a human need. We need enjoyment. We need happiness. In an uplifted sense, we need pleasure. God could have created us physically, that all the necessary functions for eating or procreation would have no feeling associated. It's altogether mechanical. I was served a splendid, healthy meal at dinner, but it wasn't tasteless. God created us. This is in our human fabric. If we don't enjoy God, we'll enjoy something. We have to enjoy something. And the way to recover people is not to condemn them for going to Las Vegas. Sorry, believing the lie that what happens there will stay there. No, what happens there will follow you into eternity unless you repent and get cleansed and forgiven. That human beings can't live a joyless life. And then also, God is a God of purpose. He has an eternal purpose. And this purpose, in at least in a general way, is implanted in the human heart. I don't care how many atheists write best-selling books. This will never be eradicated. We saw this in Russia. After all those decades of state-sponsored atheism, The emptiness, the need for God came to the surface. Thousands were saved in Moscow. Thousands were saved in St. Petersburg. Now scores of churches has been raised up. Same thing in other countries. This is part of our humanity. So what will our fellow humans do to find genuine joy and purpose? But the point here is, we're created. There's nothing religious here. I wasn't religious when I ate that excellent casserole, when I had those multi-grain muffins, when I ate that special kind of green tea from China that lowers cholesterol. I wasn't doing anything religious. I needed food, I needed a beverage. It was healthy. It was organic, man, and it was enjoyable. (laughs) We should not be religious with God. When he came, they wanted to force him to be a king. He said, I came as bread. You need to eat me. You need to drink me. That's why I'm here. Now point two. God wants us to enjoy him and to live for his purpose. The reference from Psalms I've alluded to. You will cause them to drink of the river of his pleasures. He has to cause us. We're we're challenging cases. (laughs) So he has to cause you. Doesn't God have a way to cause you drink of the spirit maybe he caused you this week he's not out to get you he's out to cause you they will be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of the house don't be afraid of the word fatness that connotes the riches of Christ for our enjoyment and then Romans 8 28 Called by God according to his purpose. The triune God is a God of joy. If you study these verses. You will see. God is a God of joy. There's the joy of the Lord. And joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. The first verse. Item of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5 is love. The second is joy. You think that's no significance? If you are living and walking in the Spirit and you are in the mingled spirit on the side of life, the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit will be love. You'll love the Lord, you'll love the church. You'll love the brothers and sisters. You will love all kinds of human beings without prejudice and without bias. And eventually you'll even love your enemies. (laughs) The second item to be manifested is joy. It's a criterion. Next to love, it's the highest criterion or indicator of our living in the spirit. Then B says, as believers, we need to change our concept. Focus on the enjoyment of God. And see that God's desire is to give himself to us to be our enjoyment. Now the verses we put on the outline, they're not haphazard. Okay, look at the verses here. John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, this is in the eternal Godhead. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and tabled among us full of power, full of righteousness, full of holiness, full of glory, full of sovereignty, full of majesty, full of grace. It's what it says. And grace is God in Christ as the Spirit being our enjoyment. And then supplying us and doing everything for us through this enjoyment. This is the Bible. This is John chapter 1. God himself in the Son as the Word became a human being full, full of grace and reality. And we're told he tabernacled. That points to an enterable dwelling place. And this tabernacle is full of grace and reality. When you enter the tabernacle, based upon the blood of Jesus, you enter into a dwelling place that is full of grace. It's a grace house. And the grace brings in reality. I realize... That some hunger for reality. They're searching for reality. Oh, I don't want just doctrine. I want reality. I went through a reality phase like this as well. It is something you go through. Okay? Eventually, you discover reality comes out of grace. It comes after grace. If you want God as your reality, you need to have God as our enjoyment. And then that enjoyment will just become the reality to you and you realize it's all real all that i heard all these years all that happens all that's presented to me in the ministry it's real it's real in me it's real to me i can testify i don't have a borrowed experience i don't have a secondhand experience i can say the spirit is the spirit of reality the word is the word of reality the divine economy is a reality in my own being. Amen. But that reality came as an issue of grace. Then, verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and reality came through Jesus Christ. When God came, he came as enjoyment. And when God comes to you, if you would let him, this is the way he would come. Didn't he come that way to the Samaritan woman? When when he met the Samaritan woman, did he say, hey, you've had five husbands, right? You're living with a man who's not your husband. You're a sinner. I'm God in the flesh and I'm righteous. You've been married five times. What kind of character is that? How are you going to face God? How are you going to spend eternity? How did you end up like this? Now you've given up on marriage. Just living with the man. There's nothing new under the sun. They were living together in Samaria 2,000 years ago. How did he come? Will you please give me a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. If you knew who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Where will you get the living water? Do you surpass Jacob who dug this well? No, no. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, the water that I shall give him shall become in that one a fountain of water springing up. She said, Lord, give me this water. Then he said, Call your husband. The sequence is very important. Sometimes we are inhuman in our gospel preaching. We don't know how to relate to a woman who's had five husbands. We're looking for so called good material. Do you have the other feeling that you are innately good material? He had to deal with the husband issue. And she tried to circumvent it, okay? He, he, he knows human psychology. He said, oh, I got this question about worship. Where are we supposed to worship? <laughs> you Jews say Jerusalem, we say on the mountain. He said, an hour is coming and now is, when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain, where you worship the Father, the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truthfulness. He came to her as the water of life. And we want the increase of the church. We want the propagation of the church as the testimony of Jesus. How are we going to come to people? There's a whole school of theology that says you must preach the condemning law to people. You must make them feel like worms, like vermin. You must cause them to sense the severity of God's judgment. Well, the spirit of reality will convict. I'm not minimizing this. That's the spirit of reality. That's not me demeaning someone. Trying to manipulate their guilty conscience. The spirit of reality will do this. And they will really repent. No doubt about it. But the Lord came to her as water. Now you are members of his body. You're parts of the new man. You're constituents of the church. How do you think he's going to come to you tomorrow morning? How do you think he wants to come to you? The same way as grace, as bread, as the light of life, as the water of life, as a feast. You need a shepherd. You need a physician. You need a father. You need a guide. You need protection. You need security. You need light. You have to sleep at night, the Lord might say. I don't have to sleep. While you are sleeping, I'm praying for you. I was interceding for you that tomorrow morning you would open to enjoy me and change your concept about me. Then you realize, when the, then when the Lord asks about your husband, you know this is not the accusation of the enemy. It's not your introspective self-condemnation. This is the Lord's enlightening. It's always specific. It's never demeaning. And it's full of life. And then spontaneously out of enjoyment. Lord, I'm so sorry for the tone with which I spoke to my wife last night. What I find that the Lord, I I don't wake up and go to the Lord. He said, bad tone. (laughs) Bad driving yesterday, even though you prayed for protection. Your angel had to work hard to protect you. <laughs> you wouldn't answer your own prayer. Well, then then who, who'd want to who, have that kind of morning revival? You need to change your concept. We, we serious seekers, earnest kingdom people, we need to change our concept and see that God's desire is to give himself to us to be our enjoyment. Why don't we let him do it? Now, I realize that when you're alone with him and you're not sure what to say and you don't know how to be, then you may tippy-toe with this. It's okay. He knows you're tippy-toeing. One time I had to tell him, honestly, I don't know how to be with you. One thing, you can see me and I can't see you. So how, how do I relate to someone I can't see? That was so precious. Lord, I need you to train me how to be with you. So he knows you just may have 51% faith, 49% doubt. The scale is just slightly tipped in favor of faith. But you're going to try it. Because something in you is agreeing with the word that you're hearing. You're going to try it. But, you know, when you were young, you were bold. You were zealous. You were energetic. Those days are gone okay? Uh, They'll never return. Uh, Your only hope is resurrection. It's not a repetition of your youth, okay? I don't envy the youth. I would not be 35 again for anything. I wouldn't want to be 27 and start this whole thing over. If I lived to be 98, I remember, oh, I remember those days when I was with the saints in San Diego, 2009, I was a young buck, just 70 years old. You know, now, now, now I have some years in here. No, no. We have to learn. Lo- I'm not looking back. The glorious days are ahead. The greatest enjoyment is ahead. Amen. I believe in the Lord's mercy. The older I get humanly, the more I will enjoy him. Amen. The weaker this physical frame gets, I'll have to deal with that. I'm not an exception. We're in the old creation. Our days will end, we'll finish our course. Just not tonight. I'm not done yet. But I expect joy upon joy upon joy. Amen. Verse 16. Of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Whoa. Grace upon grace. A little grace tomorrow, because that's all you can bear. Then more grace, more grace, more grace. Wave upon wave. I don't know anything about surfing. I never tried to surf. I understand they wait for the big wave. Well, I'm not sitting around waiting for the big wave to, to surf in the Spirit. I just know that the waves of grace will increase eternally Amen. and never stop. It's marvelous. We need to go on. Whenever we draw near to God, we need to realize that he presents himself to us for our enjoyment. Thus we should come to him with the thought of enjoying him. Keith, what's your thought? Surely there is a thought. If it's not conscious, it's unconscious. What's the thought? The thought needs to be, God presents himself to us for our enjoyment. And he has, in the Son, solved all the problems already. And if you have something in your situation, you have a weakness, you had a failure, you have a trespass offering, you have a sin offering, you have the advocate praying for you, you have the high priest interceding for you, you have the eternally efficacious blood, you have everything you need. The secret to the Christian life is how much we enjoy God. Amen. That's the secret. You might say, oh, the secret of the Christian life is being absolute. The only absolute person is Christ Jesus. Amen. We can only be absolute in him and with him in us. And the way to be in him and in him and us experientially is to enjoy him. That's the secret. Now it's an open secret. I hope you would consider this especially if you've been here for some decades and been through a lot of things, I hope you would consider this and ask the Lord to not only revive, to uplift greatly and enrich your enjoyment of Him day by day. Do you realize the greatest thing you can do for the church, the greatest help you can render to anyone you care about, is for you to enjoy the Lord. Hudson Taylor suffered much in China. He lost children. He lost his wife. The second wife was was killed in some kind of military action. He, He was responsible for so many missionaries. He received letters about their suffering, about their anguish. And he testified this. After he would receive the letters, he would enjoy the Lord. And one of his favorite hymns is in our hymnal, Lord, thou hast made thyself to me a living, bright reality. And someone asked him, how can you be happy when you read of such sorrow? And his answer was, if I were sad, if I didn't have joy, would that help them? This doesn't mean he didn't weep with those who weep. Please don't misunderstand that. What the church, what the churches in San Diego County need are saints who will enjoy the Lord and let the joy flow through their being into the church. I spoke with our dear brother Les. He called me at Paul's house. I've never heard him so tired. Listen to his voice for a few seconds. You realize he is profoundly tired. Moving out of the house, slept on the floor last night. Found out this afternoon there's a leak in the water line. Had, had to dig down there and repair it. The last thing he wanted to do was miss the meeting. Right now as we're meeting, may some pray that our brother will enjoy God. Amen that the Lord will come to him as grace and come to his dear wife, Carolyn, as grace. This is what we need. God saved us and called us according to his purpose. And now his purpose should become our purpose. And it becomes our purpose by absorbing God through the divine dispensing in our enjoyment. Now, I'm mainly going to read this last part of the outline. It speaks for itself. Because I do want to preserve adequate time. It's not going to be quite at 9, but it'll be before 9.07 or 8. And if necessary in the opening word tomorrow, I can say more. Now we look at the matter of God's purpose. The book of Ephesians was written from the perspective of God's good pleasure. The desire of his heart. And those verses there speak of his good pleasure. God needs pleasure. And this pleasure is according to his will. Every living thing desires pleasure. Because God is the most living one, he has a deep need for pleasure. So what can make God happy? We know he delights in his son. What would really make God happy if his only begotten son would in his economy become the firstborn son and be duplicated into tens of millions of people, wouldn't that make him happy? For him to look at and into all of us and see his beloved son, this is what will make him happy. God's good pleasure is what makes him happy. It is what he likes, what pleases him. God's good pleasure has been purposed by God in himself. This means that God himself is the source and sphere of his eternal purpose. Now this brings in the church. The church is according to the good pleasure of God's will the desire of God's heart brother Lee suffered in the church in Anaheim in the late 1980s he was attacked by former co-workers by elders usually by innuendos he did not attend the bread breaking meeting for a year in 1996 when he knew he was finishing his course He testified, to me, the church in Anaheim is the paradise of God. Well, all the offenses, all the wounds, he knew how to deal with. The offenses you forgive, whether the other party comes to you in this age or not. If you're aware that something needs to be forgiven, you forgive it. It's not pending, they're groveling before you. And if there are wounds, they're healed by the great physician. Every negative thing is dealt with. So as he was dying there, coming to the Lord's Day meeting, he was in the paradise of God. This was his church in Anaheim. Two saints may be in the church in San Diego. For one, it's the paradise of God. For the other, it's, I don't want to even try to describe it. It depends on whether or not you are enjoying the Lord and whether or not you realize how much the Lord loves the church and in His economy, how much He enjoys the church because the church is the corporate expression of His Son in whom He delights. God's good pleasure is related to His heart concerning us. When he thinks about us as the object of his dispensing, he is happy. One day, close to 30 years ago, I was driving south on Brookhurst and a living word came to me. (laughs) You may wonder how this could be so living. Paul's word, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It just lit up in me and it vitalized me, and I realized this is our anniversary. This is July 30th, and there was a flower shop right there. God has very good timing, so I turned in there. I got something. This was not a habit, and uh, I got some flowers that I knew she would like, and then I came home unexpectedly. And crept in unheard. And her back was to me. And so I sprang upon her in love. Gave her the flowers. And expressed love in another way. And then bounded off. Back to my office. It was... um, I don't know who enjoyed that more. Even just thinking about it thinking about her, thinking about it, thanking the Lord that the God of joy would want to have to bring in a moment of delight into our challenging human existence. Then I just went back to my office to do my work a few hours later. She comes in, bounding in, (laughs) reciprocating, bringing something that I would delight I don't know what we shared. Then she takes off. I had no intention of sharing this. God thinks like this. When he thinks of you, he doesn't think. (laughs) Pathetic, dispositional problems, opinionated, strong in the natural life, peculiar, worldly, weak, vacillating. Oh, and, and, and oh my goodness, I have, to, oh, I have to save all these people. There are millions of them. And I've got to, how am I going to perfect them? Oh, oh my goodness. Just look at the situation. No, no, no. He's got another view. When he was on the cross, there was a joy set before him. That's what motivates him. He's getting married. He's going to have a wedding. Then he's going to live happily for eternity with his wife. So when he thinks about you, he's not thinking, how am I going to get you? How am I going to trap you? How am I going to deal with you? How am I going to outwit you? No way. Even though he he has to use his wisdom to subdue us and to work on us. No doubt about it. But when he thinks about us as the object of his dispensing, He is happy. I I believe tonight God will be happy. Tomorrow, for those in this time zone, I'm going to dispense myself into so many saints. I can hardly wait. Even I think I will wake some of them up at 3.30 a.m. They won't know why. They won't be bothered. Their mind will be very clear. They wonder, why am I awake? I don't have insomnia. I don't have jet lag. Why am I awake? The Lord may say, well, this is a special pre-dawn visitation to give you some sweet enjoyment. Then you go back to sleep for maybe two and a half hours. Then I'll see you later. (laughs) This is our God. God's eternal purpose is to dispense himself into his chosen people to make them the same as he is in life and nature but not in the Godhead For his enlarged and expanded expression. God's intention in his creation of all things including man. Was that man would be mingled with God to produce the church. As the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. For his glorious purpose. How can this high peak be worked out? It's worked out by the enjoyment of God. God's eternal purpose according to the desire of his heart. Is to have the church to be the organic body of Christ for the manifestation of his multifarious wisdom. Eventually, you will realize this. Not only do you need to enjoy the Lord, the saints need to enjoy the Lord, the church needs to enjoy the Lord, and you will enjoy the Lord for the saints, and you will enjoy the Lord for the church. Amen. And because it's for the church, you may not come in, on so, so to speak, and just stomp on everybody because you happen to be high that's not going to help others enjoy the lord a few outward ones will be the rest they're going to have inward problems with you they're going to be more miserable because of your joy than they were before you came in no you you don't exhibit it that much you're not making a show a lot of it may be hidden but you realize my brother my sister My local church needs more enjoyment. Lord, I'm coming to you to enjoy you, not just for myself, but for the church which you love and which I love. The church as the body of Christ is the unique means used by God to fulfill his purpose and settle all his problems. So he must have such a church. The church is for the expression, the glory of God the Father in the divine sonship, with the Father's life and nature. The church is God's greatest boast in making known to the angelic rulers and authorities his multifarious wisdom for the shame and defeat of his enemy to bring in his kingdom. There will be boasting to the church, Satan, look at all these people. You derange them, you damage them, you oppress them, you try to destroy them. Look what I have done. I have completely nullified your negative work, and I have carried out my glorious work to fulfill my purpose. Now I give to the church the authority to judge these evil angels. That's 1 Corinthians 6.3. What a boast that's going to be. Then finally, the church is for the heading up of all things in Christ, through the working of himself into us as life and light, god knows and now we need to know the way for the lord to have such a church is for more and more of us to enjoy him the more enjoyment the more church the more church the more god is happy the more god is happy the more we are happy the more we are happy the more dispensing the more dispensing more church the church will grow the church will be built up the saints will joyfully migrate the move to they the move to this city there'll be more churches in san diego county more churches in the u.s more churches in europe and it's going to issue from not a sense of obligation but 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 from our ever increasing enjoyment of the triune god in whom i am very happy tonight And if you are happy, please just share something. Don't try to give a speech. Don't try to be that coherent. Just let something flow. We'll get your point.